cars. We love them, we buy them, we drive them, we turn our backs on them. We're abandoning vehicles this week on Tempest. I'm David Obachowski, and welcome to Tempest, a series that explores our complicated, hilarious, heartbreaking, and sometimes crazy relationships with the things that move us. This week, we have a series of stories about doing something that, to most people, seems kind of crazy, abandoning our cars, just literally getting out, walking away, never to return. I went to the always bustling farmer's market in Los Angeles at 3rd and Fairfax and decided to ask random people, have they ever done this? Have they ever just abandoned a car? The first couple I asked reacted with confusion, as if the very concept was unthinkable. No. Never abandoned a car? Abandoned a car? Abandoned a car. Just walked away, no. turned... Have you ever abandoned a car? No. Have you ever thought about abandoning a car? No. Why should I? If it stops working, it's too much trouble, or... No? Never. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. A young woman had a similar reaction. Okay. Have you ever abandoned a car before? No. <laughs> have you ever wanted to? No. Is that like a crazy question? Yes. Okay, okay. A man who originally hails from London told me no, but that... Never, never abandoned one. I've lost one in a parking lot. How like, you... you know how big these parking lots are, and you go out the whole day, and you're like, which floor was it on? And, and you get the floor, and you're like, okay, now which part of this floor was it on? And I had one of these things that locks and unlocks, but it didn't make the, the beep beep sound, so I'd just do this, and it wasn't helping me find the car. That's the closest I've got. Did you permanently lose it or? No, I didn't permanently lose it, but I was without it for a good hour in that parking lot. A man working behind a cash register could at least relate. Have you ever abandoned a car before? I have not. Never? No. Have you ever come close to it? Uh, There was one I thought about. I ended up donating it. I didn't abandon it, but it was trouble. What kind of car? Uh, It was an old Buick, a LeSabre. You know, a year? 90s, early 90s, 93, 94. Had it stopped running or were you just... Yeah, it just was nothing but trouble. Um, I kept having problems with it, so after a while I just got tired of paying to fix it. And a woman whose young child tugged at her shirt as she spoke to me described the automotive hell that was her first car. Have you ever abandoned a car before? Abandoned a car? No, but I've wanted to. Yes, tell (laughs) me, tell me about it. I had a car that the steering wheel fell off. And uh, while I was driving it, and so I was super annoyed, and I just wanted to throw it off a cliff and just leave it there on the side of the road, but I didn't. I did the right thing and got a tow truck. So and did you keep the car? After that? I no, I got rid of it because the steering wheel fell off. It was a 1979 Mazda, and I'd been driving it since I was like 16, and it was just falling apart. Didn't last. So me, I have. I guess that was the original inspiration for this episode, though it's not a particularly earth-shattering story. I'll tell you about it anyway. It was an Eagle Talon, identical twin to the Mitsubishi Eclipse and Plymouth Laser. Mine was a 91 model, the one with the flip-up headlights. Non-turbo, automatic, wasn't the greatest thing ever, but I liked it. I got it in 1998. It was my second car, and compared to my 84 Accord, it was a dream. It served me well over five years, surviving the endless snow and salt of Champaign, Illinois winters, the blistering heat of Texas, and the long drive from Austin to Chicago, where I parted ways with it. I took that drive in early 2003, moved in with my girlfriend at the time. We lasted most of the year, but by fall, things took a turn. I flew to New York to visit a friend and clear my head. As I sat on his fire escape, looking out on the BQE, it felt like a homecoming, 
I grew up not too far from there, had left in 97. But there I was, back on the East Coast, not in my hometown, but near enough and in the greatest city in the world, New York. A moment of clarity. I was a freelance copywriter. I could work from anywhere. Why not here? It could be a whole new beginning for me. I could live near my friend. We could start another band, and I could dedicate myself to making it as a musician. Yes. The next day, I rented an apartment before I had time to start overthinking it, and between the first and last month's rent and the security deposit, most of the money in my account was gone. Welcome to New York. I boarded my flight back to Chicago with my key in my pocket. All I had to do was pack my stuff, put it in the talon, and drive 800 miles east. It was my last day in Chicago before I made that drive to New York. At least, that's how I remember it. I'd run some errand. What? I can't remember. But I was driving down Ashland Avenue when the Eagle forcefully ejected a good portion of the drivetrain onto the road. Every light on the dash illuminated, and I coasted to the side where I got out and looked in disbelief at just how much metal my car had spewed onto the asphalt. Called AAA. The driver asked me where to tow it. I told him to take it down to 16th and Ashland, a block from my apartment. There were always countless parking spots on the street right along the railroad embankment. He unhooked it there and drove off. Whatever happened to the car was catastrophic, and I didn't have the money to fix it even if I wanted to. But where I was going, I didn't want to because I didn't need a car. And anyway, it was going to be an all-new chapter. I left a note in the window. Free car. I put the key in the ignition, closed the door, making sure it was unlocked. Perhaps some enterprising person would salvage it. Perhaps it would be a shelter for someone in the weeks and cold weather to come. I even called the city, confirmed that if I left the car, they'd just impound it eventually, right? That's correct, they told me. And so, I left. Though as anyone who abandons a car knows, it's never that simple. There can be regrets or repercussions. In my case, repercussions. I don't know if the city ever did impound my car. Maybe they did. Or maybe someone took it for themselves. I'd love to know what happened to it. But this much I do know. In the immediate days and weeks after I abandoned it, the car collected parking tickets. A lot of them. And since I'd skipped town, they went after my ex, who was still living at the old address. I look back on it now, sorry I'd left it on her to be the one to put an end to the talent. Why didn't I just donate it, take a tax write-off? The answer is simple. Youth and the desire to just move on. Today, I'm going to bring you two other and I think far more interesting stories about abandoning cars. The first of those, which I call Florida Man, the F-Body Bandit, is coming right up after this break. Stay with me. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. For this chapter, I want you to meet Donnie. Or as many of his friends call him, Florida Man, and I wear that crown very proudly. For those of you who don't get the reference, Florida Man refers to the ubiquitous headlines about bizarre and often criminal activity in Florida. In fact, in April of this year, Esquire published the best Florida Man headlines of January, February, and March of 2009, and they include 
Florida man doesn't get straw, attacks McDonald's employee. Florida man intentionally drove Ferrari 360 into ocean at top speed, and Florida man caught on camera licking doorbell. I asked Donnie, our Florida man, what makes him such a Florida man? You know, I'm always, I'm always the one who's down to uh, partake in any gray area activity that comes my way. But let's get specific here. Well, <laughs> um, well, I I have raced school buses in a figure eight. Uh, I do have an alligator nest in my backyard that is hatched, and every year I try to get one or two of the the little guys or gals domesticated, and that doesn't work. Um, and I have the scars to show for it. Florida man and Florida woman love gators. <laughs> Well, you know, we've thrown them into Wendy's. We've taken them on beer runs. It's there was there was a lady who was removed from a flight because she had an emotional support alligator. So we're uh, we're batting a thousand with them. But this isn't about gators. It's about something only marginally easier to tame: Transams and Firebirds and Camaros. In my early twenties, I was collecting, flipping, maintaining, restoring F-body cars. I was thoroughly, and still am thoroughly in love with the 4th gen LT1 F-body Firebirds Camaros Trans Ams. This would have been uh, 20, 2009, 2010. You know, right at the height of all of the buy here, pay here dealerships collapsing. And That's actually important to note because the way those dealerships worked created a situation where everybody not getting titles to their cars, being able to register them, but not actually being able to own them. This was good news for Donnie, who was always on the hunt for those F-bodies. I kept finding these Firebirds and Transams and Camaros that didn't have titles to them. So we bought them. And the idea here was... Piece them all together so that I had the good example of what I wanted. Which normally entailed three or four cars coming together to form one. Really, this was an ideal way of upgrading all kinds of things. The engine, transmission, interiors, rear ends, body panels that may have cracked or, you know, faded. Florida man had it down to a science. So I'm picking up these cars for three, four, five hundred dollars a piece. But there's one problem. Having and using a whole lot of donor vehicles means you're left with a whole lot of cars you're done with. So what do you do with a shell of a car that you can't crush because you don't have a title for it? You can't sell it off to anybody. So that's when you kick in to Florida man mode. Well, one night in my garage... Had a little liquid encouragement, me and a friend, and we're like, well, what if we just throw the shell on the trailer? And haul it off to somewhere inconspicuous, like, say, a subdivision that had been under construction until the project was abandoned due to the economic collapse. And this car, he says... It was legitimately just a shell. But abandoning a car, even if it is just a shell, is actually against the law, and what if the police wanted to track down who'd abandon it? Our fingerprints are all over it. Are they going to go that in-depth with it? So there is obviously only one reasonable solution to this problem. So the first one, 
we set on fire first. So we're standing there trying to figure out how to get metal to burn. So we just hosed it down with gasoline out of a garden sprayer, threw a couple matches in it, let it burn for a while, hosed it off while it was on the trailer. And then they were off to the subdivision. Pulled up next to a tree, tied the shell to a tree, pulled the trailer out from under it, and wished it the best of luck. After a couple days, we kind of got curious as to if it was still there or not, so of course we made sure to take another car up there. We got up there and car was gone. Wasn't a note, anything. Well, that was simple. And so they turned their attention to the rest of the cars. And, and I guess it's just laziness. We just... The next one we didn't set on fire. The one after that, I think we just rolled off the trailer. We didn't even take the full suspension or rear end out of it. We did about six, where we had gotten rid of the just the shells because we didn't have titles. This was over maybe eight months. The last one that we got rid of... When we were on our way out there, we actually passed a sheriff's deputy. So that kind of spooked us a little bit, and we actually went home that night with it. And then the next night, I vividly remember doing the whole, like, smoking the bandit, send the running car out there, speeding to draw the police away, and then pull up, drop the car, and leave. So, did it work? There was nothing on the news. There was nothing. Nothing in the post office. We're trying to catch the F body bandit or anything like that. Like, I have never had any sheriff's officers knock at my door about an abandoned F body car. Yes, it did work. But for Florida man, that might have just been the problem. So, so the part of me that's evil hopes that somewhere in some sort of deep lair in the sheriff's department there's a room that has the pictures of these cars all connected with yarn and just a, a detective from like the 1970s you know your your typical stereotypical 70s detective movie standing there with a cigarette staring at them how are these all connected where are they going <laughs> he burned transams tied him to trees tried to draw away the cops with a smoky and the bandit maneuver but alas no Florida Man headline for him. Sure, he didn't get any tickets, but as Donnie says... I feel like I missed some notoriety here. <laughs> Coming up, a teen comedy that's got all your classic elements. The parents who are out of town, the crazy plan, a race against time, and a bus? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Meet Caleb. He's 20 now, but he's got a story that happened when he was 17 years old. This was when he was not only earning high marks in school, but coaching tennis, refereeing soccer, working at a steakhouse, and also managing the local pool and its small staff, some of whom were also his friends. I mention this because the story really begins there, at the pool. 
it had been like two super rainy weeks and of course we can't be open during that time but we have to be there so we're super super bored and we're looking on craigslist for all manner of things um, we looked at golf carts mopeds this little it was like a 400 front wheel drive subaru that supposedly just needed a spark plug fix and we thought about buying that and just absolutely thrashing it dirt bikes you name it we looked at it and the only thing that was like wow this would be just hilarious and out of sorts was the bus so it was kind of like it jumped out at us as a like a shock factor almost like okay this would just be absolutely bizarre that's right this is a story a teen comedy if you will about caleb and his friends who hatch a plan to buy a bus in the course of telling me the story, Caleb mentions to me that his parents... To this day, as a matter of fact, at the time of this recording, they do not know the entirety of the story. They figure, like, okay, something janky happened here, but they still don't know, like, oh, our son went and bought a bus. Okay. Obviously, if I'm making a point to highlight this fact, it's because, well, I want you to meet... My name is Micah. And Shannon. Caleb's parents, right? Correct. Before we even get into this, please know, I don't make it a habit to go telling on my subjects, but when Caleb told me this tale and kept mentioning how his parents had no idea, I couldn't help but think that getting their input would really add a little extra something. And he agreed. So he was the one who connected us. And right off the bat, it's clear why he didn't tell them about his big let's buy a bus plan. Yeah, I'm not shocked. Would not have supported the idea if he had asked me ahead of time. Uh, Would I be... Terribly surprised? No. What have I tried to discourage him from it? Yes. So, first of all, he needed to do this at a time when they wouldn't be around. Fortunately for Caleb, his parents were going away for the weekend. Yes, I was actually doing a half Iron Man in Racine, Wisconsin. That is correct. They were a few states over, as a matter of fact, for a half Iron Man that my mom was running. I asked Caleb what his parents' expectations would have been for when they left him alone for the weekend. I, w- I received very specific instructions the day they left. Do not have anyone over, stay in town, work. We would have been fine with kids coming to the house. We would have been, you know, under control. We would have been fine with him going reasonable distances away from home. Um, I don't know. Do you want to add to that, Micah? Yeah. um, Common sense stuff. Uh, Don't go far. Don't Don't spend a lot of money. And if you're going to do anything out of the ordinary... We're not very far away by way of cell phones. And don't don't break laws. Okay, so in general, a couple friends fine, but nothing crazy. Don't go far, don't spend a lot of money, don't break laws. Well, first of all, abandoning a car isn't exactly smiled upon by the authorities, but we're not quite there yet, so let's put that aside. As far as having the people over and the money thing, well... Well, this is, this is how the whole... The funding came about, actually, is... Part of our deal to ourselves is we don't want to drop $1,000 between the two of us on this. So what, we're, what we did was we got investors. We secured investors to kind of crowdfund this bus. By investors, of course, he means friends. And so kind of as soon as they left, like, all right, everyone who's working on the bus, come over. We'll set up. I mean, we had like a crazy wall that you'd find in like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something with red yarn and bus and all the different lists of the donors and who was giving money and what we promised people, the timeline, the itinerary. I mean, there was there was a couple people just living out of there for a couple of days, and we were able to secure most of our money in that manner. I tell Shannon and Micah this, and they're incredulous. They, they actually got that much money from their friends? Yes. I tell her. Really? She says in disbelief. 
But it's true. He and his friends were able to crowdfund this thing using incentives. You know, donor levels. If you give 50 bucks, we'll shuttle you around in the bus like once a month. If you give us 100 bucks, you can borrow the bus once a month. So if you give 200 or above, you can have the bus kind of whenever you want kind of thing. He actually emailed me a more detailed breakdown, and I couldn't help but share it with Micah and Shannon. For $50 or less, you could use the bus once a year oh, or, okay. or ride free whenever we were using it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. You could give Caleb $50, and then uh-huh. if he was using the bus, he would not <laughs> charge you to get on the bus. Right. <laughs> what were the other levels? Just out of curiosity. For $50 to $100, you could borrow the bus once a month and ride free always. <laughs> okay, so their crowdfunding campaign is successful. They have their money, and they found the bus they want to buy in Craigslist. It's in rural Minnesota, a three-hour drive. 150 miles away from our hometown in northwest Iowa. So he and his buddy hop into Caleb's Malibu bright and early. It was a super tight time frame because that morning, as a matter of fact, I had to do my little brother's paper out in my hometown. Uh, So we had to get up at like 4 to do that and be on the road by 5.36. And that evening, he had a shift at the steakhouse, so... I had my work clothes in my car because I was... You know, also cautious, like, oh, something could go wrong, and I want to make it to my job on time. As an aside, I mentioned this detail to his parents, and Shannon says, Oh, my mother's heart is warmed. Point is. So we had just this precisely planned out trip where we were going to arrive at this time, back at this time, and everything was going to be smooth. The drive to the place is uneventful, and there's the bus. It's everything they dreamed it would be, which, if you for some reason want a bus, is a good thing. It was based off a of Ford E350, so kind of like a an airport shuttle type bus, completely wheelchair accessible. It had a door in the back that you could open up. The lift had been taken off. Uh, it had air suspension. It was registered as a recreational vehicle and not as a commercial vehicle, so we did not need a CDL for it, which was super janky, but we were not complaining. Uh, It has an aftermarket radio in it. The outside is about what you'd expect out of a late 80s short bus. All things considered, it was white. It was a little bit beat up, but all the doors and windows worked properly. It had AC. And as for the mileage, well, it had probably turned over because it said 17,000, but <laughs> so I'm, I'm dubious on that. On Craigslist, the official miles was listed with just a question mark. Ah, uh, but the perks don't end there. Well, first of all, the interior was completely stripped out, which was part of the thing that drew us to it. Why is that a good thing? Because they wanted to hang hammocks in it. But here, here is the real deal sealer for Caleb. This is the thing that made this a must-buy, and yes, it's absolutely as ridiculous as you're expecting it to be. What this this beautiful thing had was you put the key in the ignition, you turn it, so far, so normal, but then you go over to this little fuse box that had been kind of just haphazardly attached where the door handle was, and you had to take off like a fighter jet style cover, flip a switch, then hold down a button that says engage warp drive on it in all caps from a label maker and you hold that down for a couple seconds and it starts up and it says just american big v8 i mean we got like seven miles to the gallon rumble it was just fantastic that was probably the moment where like this was a good decision they were already convinced but they did one last walk around just to make sure no broken glass no punctured tire we popped the hood looked under there everything looked fine 
So we were thinking like, hey, we might have kind of come out on top in this bargain here. And a bargain it was. We bought it for $1,000 off Craigslist, talked down from 2000 Usually when a seller is willing to come down 50% on their already low asking price, it might be a red flag. I pointed this out to Caleb. Right, well, you, you just said it. Like, that should have been red flag number one, but we were kind of too caught up in the moment. And then I pointed it out to Shannon. The, the bus was listed at $2,000, and he talked him down to $1,000. Oh, well, and they made it how many miles? And that, that is the big question. With that, we turn back to Caleb. The very first time we start to notice that anything is going downhill is we get lost, right? Kind of right off the bat, my friend is leading in my car and he uses Apple Maps and it was not the best decision he could have made. And we came up on blacktop and highway. It was nice, easy going, but on the way back for some reason, we're taking all this gravel, it's really hilly. It's kind of stop and go for some reason because we're crossing all these blacktops and instead of turning on them, we think, oh, we can see the highway from here. We're gonna go. So we're just going down the road. I have the windows open and the back is full of dust, which couldn't have helped anything, but it was fun. I mean, you have a bus, you're gonna enjoy it a little bit. I was flinging around corners left and right. My friend says that at one time, he thinks I got a wheel off the ground just coming through. I can't confirm or deny, but I want that to be true. Anyway. We pop out of this gravel and we are in the middle of this tiny, tiny town. But for some reason, the street is very, very busy, and my bus is very, very hot. My temperature gauge didn't work either, but I can hear it hissing from up front, and that's not good. And we're going very slow, and I'm thinking, why are all these people on the sidewalk? Why are there all these cars on the road? Are those caution caution cones and tape? And I look around like, oh, we just came out in the middle of a parade. And I, I look in my rearview mirror, and there's four or five squad cars behind me, and I come out right in front of the entire city's police department. And the, uh, the bus had an aux cord, which was fantastic. And I was playing Mad City by Kendrick Lamar. And that moment is just permanently etched into my brain as one of the funnier situations that I wish I could watch from the outside. But then back to that heat and hissing thing. And it's when we're turning out of town that I put my foot down. And there's, there's a response, but it's slow and it's pained. And, you know, if you're driving a car and you've been driving long enough, you can kind of feel... Like, oh, this car isn't happy right now. Something right. isn't quite right. It's just not normal. So at this point, I'm thinking, okay, is it a, a battery thing? Am I losing fuel? Is my pump not working? What could this be? Came up to a stop sign, and as I was slowing down, the bus lost power almost completely. And my, my tack was working, so I could see my RPMs drop. And that was scary, but I put it in neutral and just floored it, and it, it took up again. And keep going, hit another stop sign breaking and it dies completely so we get out we poke around we're leaking it looks like antifreeze we don't worry about that too much because we want to see okay can we get it started it, it turns over fine so we know that's working uh but as we keep trying to turn it over that starts to go we're like that's just grinding it sounds like startup motor so we're worried about that and up hooking it up to my car jumper cables and just gunning it, pumping the gas, and it starts up mercifully. Driving again, we see this small town in the distance. We're like, okay, we're going to go here. We're going to fuel up again, maybe check the antifreeze, check oil, check anything we can. And we hit another stop sign, same story, dies completely. And this time it doesn't want to start as much. So we let it sit a little bit, and we open up the radiator, and yeah, it is it spews at us, first of all, because we were stupid and jumped the gun. 
just opened it with just boiling coolant, not our best and brightest moment. And I sent my friends into town to go pick up some antifreeze coolant for us. Fill it up, dump it, slap a bit of duct tape on the bottom of the radiator and hope that's where it's coming from. It's just terrible hard to tell. Uh, dump it and it gets going again. So, okay, we're gonna make it to town, see if there's a mechanic, see if he can give us a, a quick diagnosis here. And we make it about another quarter of a mile and even without breaking, this time it dies again. Uh, startup is grinding, it sounds like, but it's turning over. Uh, we're just spewing coolant everywhere. Fill that up again and check the oil, check the dipstick, and that is almost bone dry. So his friend hops in Caleb's car and gets motor oil and brings it back. They fill the van up, put more coolant in, and then they somehow get the bus started again and keep going. And by the way, they're still about 100 miles away from home. We pull up to the gas station that my friend had been going back to. And right as I'm pulling into the parking lot, there's kind of like a final middle, middle finger to me as the bus just gives out. So Caleb heads into the gas station and asks if there's a mechanic in town clinging to the hope that the bus can be healed. This, this can't be where it ends. This can't be how it ends. This is like two weeks of buildup. I was just kind of in denial. Like, I've never had a car break down on me before. This this doesn't happen. It's going to be okay. He'll figure it out. When we come back from this final break, we find out if there's enough power in Caleb's positive thinking. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When we left off, the bus was dead in a gas station, but Caleb was hopeful that a mechanic would be able to salvage the beast. There was not even a mechanic to be found. Actually, there was a mechanic, but he just wasn't home or at a shop. They went there and checked, and all they could find, Caleb says, was a warm can of Budweiser. So they left him a note explaining the situation about the bus and headed back to the gas station. But yeah, we, we let the bus sit at the gas station. It had a little note saying we contacted the mechanic. Any questions, contact Q's number. Note that he left his friend Q's number instead of his own. Anyway, Caleb leaves the bus behind and hops into his Malibu, even managing to make it back in time for his shift. But then... A couple days later, while we're working, I'm at the pool doing my managing stuff, which is just kind of sitting, and my friend Q just comes in from his most recent lifeguard shift, checking his phone, like, hey, I got a text from a number saying they picked up the bus. Like, oh, okay. So yeah, he, he towed it in. The prognosis, however, was not good. In addition to three of the eight cylinders being seized, the mechanic says, You need a new fan belt, your starter motor is shot, and just your transmission is garbage. All in, he's looking at a repair bill of about... I think it was just below five grand on the, the low estimate. That wasn't feasible, so... So we started looking into alternative options, like, okay, can we get a salvage company to come pick it up and scrap it out? Uh, our friend who drove my car up, actually, his dad was a mechanic and owned a flatbed. Like, can we take the flatbed up and try to get it back? And we were just scheming and scheming and scheming. But sometimes a plan is just doomed to fail, especially this one. Life goes on. 
and we forget about it. The mechanic stops calling. So I don't know if he ended up scrapping it or if it's still sitting, but I'm sure he, he wasn't exactly thrilled with us after, I think he kept trying to contact us for a good two, three months. Like, hey, when are you coming to get this thing out of here? Uh, threatened a bit of legal action once or twice. And we just kind of timidly didn't say anything or tried to talk our way out of it. I want to get back to Caleb's parents. They'd set out some specific rules for what he could and couldn't do when they were gone. Now that they'd heard the story about the bus, I was curious to know if they thought he was or was not in violation of those guidelines. He took a drive. It was three hours away. Did he mm-hmm. Did he break a rule there? Yes. Yes. However, if he had, had asked permission to go that far away, we probably would have granted it to him. Well, depending on what. Depending what on for what. But right. But yes, he did break a rule. Uh, yeah. Rule number two, the one about large purchases. Uh, Caleb, don't buy anything too expensive while we're gone. <laughs> did did he actually slip through a loophole on this one by by crowdsourcing, or does this? No, he still broke a rule. Um, if he had shelled out a thousand plus, that would have been a significant issue. Yeah. Um, if his friends wanted to get taken by him, I guess that's not their problem. <laughs> I'm not saying it was a terrific thing to do, but since they wanted to contribute to the cause, so be it. But then they asked me how much Caleb kicked in, and when I told him it was about 150 bucks. Violation. Violation. Triple digits, right? Yeah, I agree. As for the third rule, breaking the law. Mike is actually an attorney in Iowa, but he felt like he needed more information. You know, I don't know how that would play out in Minnesota. I was been kind of curious whether they ever got titled to it. But hey, I'm not trying to make this a courtroom drama. And anyway, Micah says... The real winner was the place where they left it, had it declared abandoned, scrapped it out, came out ahead. Here's what I was most curious about, though. After hearing Caleb's crazy story about buying a bus... Where does it rank in terms of teenage hijinks? Did you do worse? Is this the kind of thing that you guys would have done when you were teenagers? Tell me about that. Ooh, good question. My wife, yes, me, no. <laughs> yeah, she's right. <laughs> I, I, I would have... She would have gone along with a friend who thought it up. Totally. I don't know if I would have put money in it, but I would have done at least this, if not something a little sketchier. And so he knows that. But but my husband, no. He's pretty, he's pretty uh, clean. <laughs> and as for her husband, he says... I'm just really glad the bus is parking for my house. I asked Caleb if he's worried about what his parents will say now that they know the story. He tells me, I'm, I'm just hoping it's the couple years thing. And they're like, all right, well, that was, that was a choice that you made. And it is a choice he made. A seriously ridiculous choice front to back and one that even costed him and his friends cash in the deal. And yet, it was clearly so fun. And isn't that what youth is supposed to be about? I asked Caleb what it was like firing up that bus for its one and only voyage when the guy sold it to him 50% off. Was he happy? Or did he worry he might be making a mistake? Option A, for sure. I was completely stoked. I got in, I did that startup sequence, and I was just beaming the whole time. Just absolutely thrilled. It was, it, to this mo- to this day, like one of the highest points of my life, just for just absolutely excited about that thing. In fact, the bus still calls his name. We're actually tentatively planning a, uh, a recon trip sometime this summer to see if we can find it and if it actually still exists. Ultimately... I guess the irony of abandoning a car is that you get precisely what you want. It disappears. And that just leaves you with more questions. Florida Man might have created a mystery in how he got rid of his machines, but in doing so, he also created a mystery for himself. 
Whatever happened to those picked-over, titleless F-bodies? Were they taken by some other Florida person? Or is there a detective somewhere who claimed them as evidence and is still puzzling over the rash of trans ams left tied to a tree? As for Caleb, I'm not so sure he's seen the last of that bus after all. Me, I watch the cars pass, and every once in a while, I catch a white glimpse of a car with flip-up headlights. Was that a Plymouth Laser? Was it a Mitsubishi Eclipse? Or was it an Eagle Talon? Thanks for listening to Tempest. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, David Obachowski. I also did the music with some help from my longtime collaborator and friend, Kenny Appel. The theme song is by Distant Correspondent. Visit the show on the web at TempestPodcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Tempest Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Tempest. Also, tell your friends about it. And if you have any questions, comments, or compelling car stories, get in touch at Tempest at TempestPodcast.com. I definitely want to hear from you. Speaking of hearing from people, you're going to hear from me next week with a whole new episode. 